Today's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 20 through 33. First, let us pray. Your word reveals your truth, O God. Give us clarity of heart and strength of spirit that we would hear what you have to say and lead lives that reflect your love. Amen. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethesda in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This passage is essentially the beginning of the end for Jesus. The setting is in Jerusalem during Passover. Some Greeks show up in town and they make one simple request. We wish to see Jesus, they say. And that request makes all sorts of sense if you consider everything that has taken place. This Jesus they wish to see is the man who changed water into wine at a wedding in Cana. He's the one who talked to Nicodemus under cover of night and the Samaritan woman in broad daylight. He fed thousands of people a satisfying meal with nothing more than the scraps in a schoolboy's lunchbox. He asked people to consider their own sins before casting stones at someone else's. He gave sight to a man who had been blind since birth and said that no more should we assume that sickness or injury were the result of mistaken living. He caused everyone to start thinking hard about everything they'd always taken for granted. And then this was the real kicker. When his friend Lazarus died, he walked straight into the tomb and he told the dead man to get up, cast his grave clothes aside, and come back to life. And with God as his witness, that's exactly what happened, meaning not even death was safe from this guy, this prophet, this teacher, this Jesus. We wish to see Jesus, the Greeks said, and they certainly weren't the first to say it. The more he did, the more he healed, the more he challenged, the more he taught, 
the more attention he garnered. That's why he had thousands of people to feed in the first place. Everywhere he went, people followed. People wanted to see Jesus. Now some, I'm sure, were excited, and others were afraid, and others still were just annoyed or downright agitated. But the Greeks who wished to see Jesus, they were the first out-of-towners to ask. These Greeks, they weren't local folks who heard about them from their next-door neighbor or out at the market while they were picking up fish. These Greeks were Gentiles from across the sea, which meant word about Jesus was spreading far and fast. And Jesus knew. He knew the way only the Father's Son could know that when the authorities heard about this, they would redouble their efforts to arrest him. After all, he was already a dead man walking for making a dead man walk. After Lazarus was raised, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they all came together and they determined, if we let this man go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then what will happen to us and everything we hold dear? It is far better to have one man die than to have the whole nation destroyed. All of this is to say, when the Greeks show up and say, we wish to see Jesus, Jesus knows his end is beginning. And so he says to his friends, my soul is troubled. Now, the way that we tend to interpret this statement of his and the way that I have preached it before is to suggest that Jesus is grieved and distressed, that he is enduring inner turmoil about what he knows is being asked of him, what he knows will soon befall him. But today, at least, today, at least, I am no longer convinced that is what Jesus means when he says his soul is troubled. I am no longer convinced of this for a variety of reasons, but mostly what I have learned about and from John Lewis. Mr. Lewis was a political activist who served in the House of Representatives for Georgia's 5th Congressional District until he died this past summer. He dedicated his life to protecting and advancing the rights of black people in the United States. He was one of the original Freedom Riders, and he led the first march from Selma to Montgomery across the Edmund Pettus Bridge. It is impossible, it is absolutely impossible to talk about civil rights or the end of legalized segregation in this country without talking about John Lewis. In his memoir, he wrote, My parents told me in the very beginning, when I was a young child, when I raised questions about segregation and racial discrimination, they told me not to get in the way, not to cause any trouble, not to make any noise. And given the history of race-based violence in our country, that advice was understandable. But later in his life, Lewis would become famous for encouraging Americans to engage in what he called good trouble, 
necessary trouble. Trouble that is willing to travel down a long, hard road in its commitment to the pursuit of justice. Mr. Lewis's affinity for the phrase, good trouble, is what prompted me to dig even deeper into Jesus's words to his friends. My soul is troubled, Jesus says, but the Greek terasso, it offers a nuance I had never noticed before, probably in large part because I had never gone looking for it. Terasso means to stir up, to trouble, to agitate, to distress, to grieve. Yes, absolutely. But then there is this little note tucked into parentheses, printed in even smaller font. And it reads, in the sense of stirring up or setting in motion, that which prefers to remain still or at ease. My soul is troubled, Jesus said, and it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. My soul, Jesus said, the very center of my being is stirring up that which prefers to remain still and at ease in this world. It is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Stirring up that which prefers to be at ease sounds like an incredibly accurate and succinct description of Jesus's entire ministry upsetting the status quo where evil and ignorance and illness carry the day, upsetting the status quo where individual security is prioritized above communal flourishing, upsetting the status quo where death wins yet again and never even has to glance back over its shoulder. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life will lose it. And those who hate their life in this world will keep it. These words of his are hard to hear. But Jesus always knows what we need to hear the most. And while sometimes it is, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. And sometimes it is, in my Father's house there are many rooms. And sometimes it is, I am the light of the world and I am the good shepherd and I am the resurrection and the life. Other times, other times, what we most need to hear is, why are you still so slow-witted? And other times, it is woe unto you. And other times, it is those who love their life will lose it. And those who hate their life in this world will keep it. What we most need to hear from Jesus is not always what we want to hear. W.H. Auden once wrote, I believe in Jesus because he fulfills precisely none of my dreams, because he is in every respect the exact opposite of what he would be if I could have made him in my own image. And by that standard, 
Auden said, if we do not resent Jesus and all he asks of us at least a little bit, perhaps we have yet to love him enough or understand him adequately. Because what we most need to hear from Jesus is not always what we want to hear. And what Jesus knows his followers need to hear, back in Jerusalem during Passover and in Colombia today, is that if we love our lives too much, if we do everything we can to protect our lives the way they are, if we successfully prevent change and avoid conflict and skip over pain, then at the end, we'll find out that we didn't have much of a life at all. But if we hate our lives in this world, which means if we hate all of the ways we compromise our lives by chasing comfort and safety and superiority in this world, if we hate that enough to stop chasing it and start chasing God, well, we will have more life than we know what to do with. Those are the choices that Jesus offers Andrew and Philip and anyone else who was there to overhear. And they're the choices that are available to him as well. The way of self-preservation is safe. And if Jesus loved his life enough to save it, he absolutely could have. But he loved something else more than his life. Jesus loved the life he knew that all of us could have if he was willing to give up his. Because a grain of wheat cannot grow unless it dies. For the seed to do what it was made to do, it has to be given up. It has to fall into the earth and surrender everything it could have been all on its own. It has to allow itself to be buried and to sit in the dark and the quiet under pressure until its hour comes when it cracks wide open and new life springs up, a green shoot climbing towards the sun until it breaks through the soil, becoming golden and strong, a stalk of wheat that will become the bread of life, ready to feed the whole world. That is what trouble, real good trouble, can promise us. Because good trouble can turn seeds into stalks, and good trouble can turn grain into glory. Good trouble takes the world as it is today and insists there is something more. This means, though, that good trouble comes with a cost. It asks us to give up something of ourselves in service of something bigger. But hear this too. Good trouble is always, always, always a choice. And this is an important word. For there is so much trouble in this world that is not a choice. And there is nothing good about famine or abuse or genocide. And there is nothing good about the murder of Soon Chung Park and Hyung Chung Grant, Soon Cha Kim, 
Yang Ayu, Xiaoja Tan, Dao Yo Feng, Delania Ashley Yoon, and Paul Andre Michaels in Atlanta this past week. The pain and the fear and the grief that the Asian American Pacific Islander community has felt and is feeling, that is the sort of trouble that no one should ever have to endure. It is the result of sin and evil, plain and simple. Good trouble. Good trouble is always, always, always a choice. And it is a choice that ultimately shouts down death in all its forms, a choice that Jesus made and never looked back. It's funny, in a way, right after Lazarus was raised, the authorities, they gathered together and they said, if we let this man go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then what will happen to us and everything we hold dear? It is better to have one man die than to have an entire nation destroyed. But Jesus knew differently. Jesus knew better. If a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, he said, it becomes so much more than just a single grain. It will bear much fruit. It will bear more fruit than you could ever imagine. It will bear fruit enough to feed the whole world and nourish the whole world into a new day, a day where those who follow me will be strong enough and sure enough that they will choose to get into some remarkably good trouble all on their own. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.